need a Bible, raise your hand if you do have a Bible. Judges chapter 6 and 7 this morning. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Judges chapter 6 and 7. If you're wondering where the book of Judges is, you're probably not alone. But you've got to get through the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Judges, and then, or excuse me, Joshua, then you find Judges. We're in a series, kind of, sort of, with a lot of leeway. I like those kind. Um, talking about um, Old Testament stories, what we can glean from them, Sunday school stories, not necessarily Old Testament, can be New Testament something we might have heard of in Sunday school years ago. And it's funny, when I looked up this character of Gideon, I was interested in one fact of it, and the first thing that came up was a Sunday school lesson. How about that, right? When you think of Gideon, you think of Sunday school, uh, you think of, yeah, lights, broken vessels, big victory. But there is so much to glean from this story this morning that I realized I can't do it all in one shot. And we're going to have to attempt to do it in a two-part series. But then I realized I'm not speaking again for three weeks. So, anyways, just hold on to these thoughts. Maybe listen to it again before it's our turn to venture into the story again. So Judges is a historical book. You might know that. You might not know of the country Israel. Judges isn't a real happy book. The theme of the book of Judges unfortunately was this in the last verse of the book everyone did what was right in their own eyes does that sound like our society <laughs> everyone did what was right in their own eyes the last verse of the book theme of the book but this kind of theory leads us to idol worship to sin and to a lack of peace in our lives we would say clearly that, that's a good thing. Some people would say in our society, excuse me, but it, it really isn't, and it causes big trouble. We know that this nation of Israel has been formed in the book of Genesis through Abraham and all his descendants. We know as we carry on the beginning Genesis of this nation and all these characters, and they go into captivity at the end, or as you head at the end of Genesis into Exodus, and then you might remember, as we talked about weeks ago, um, you have Joseph there. And then as you move on to the book of Exodus, Moses leads them out, right? Leads them into the wilderness. Many miracles happen, the 10 plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea. And then we have all the laws given to them, and that's the book of Leviticus. And then numbers is a numbering of the people while they're in the wilderness. They were supposed to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan within a couple months, but because of their sin and unbelief, they were 40 years in the wilderness. When you come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which means the law repeated, you come to the book of Joshua, who we studied as well a couple weeks ago, who leads them into the promised land and has great victories. The one we talked about was Jericho, but there was many, many victories, battles, and Joshua was an amazing leader. And he was excellent at remembering what Moses and the law said, and he read it every seven years, and the people followed after God. The difficulty is, after Joshua passes, the people slip into idol worship, and then we begin 
the book of Judges. So in this book, the book of Judges, the people turn away from God and the Deuteronomy covenant that is stated there that if people follow God, they will be blessed and if they don't, they'll be cursed. Now obviously that's the old covenant, that's not the new covenant, but the people knew what they were supposed to do, but because they intermarried with other nations and committed idol worship, God would oppress them in the book of Judges with another nation. That nation then would come against them, bring them into slavery, and the people would have miserable lives of no peace, no fruit. They would cry out to God. This is the pattern of every judge. So in the book of Judges, it's just a repetition of Samson or Gideon or Deborah. It's the same story repeated with different characters. And they cry out, God raises a judge, whoever it is. The judge brings a great victory and then there's peace, usually 20 to 40 years. Then they fall back into that cycle of idol worship or serving something other than God. And by the way, some might think, well, were they bowing down to statues or burning incense? Possibly, but sometimes it was a lot of mix and matching. You know, like, well, we still follow God, but we allow for Baal, or we allow for this. And sometimes we have this perspective like, oh yeah, they were way bad. Yeah, they were bad. But don't, I just today, the more I read this and the more that I saw it was for us is, we are so much like this people. And that's just reality. We are great mixers and matchers of a little bit of God, a little bit of prosperity, a little bit of pleasure, and sometimes the purity of our relationship of God is put on the back burner because we do what's right in our own eyes. And I will say, I'm not preaching to the, church, to, to the world today. I'm preaching to the church, right? And it so easily happens. And this pattern, we can say, oh, it was them. But I want to tell you this morning, I see this pattern in my life. And I do see this pattern within the church in general, and at times even within our own church. If you can't take honest inventory, what can you do, right? You have to ask the Lord these questions and something I did in my life. So we're introduced to Gideon in chapter 6 because there's an oppression of the people of the Midianites, it says. And in chapter 6, verse 1 of the book of Judges, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord delivered him into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves, or excuse me, made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds which are in the mountains where they went to. So it was, when Israel had sown... The Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would camp against them, destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and all their camels without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impo impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, 
And here's our pattern. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord was with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? Which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talks to me. And so he goes through this process of bringing a sacrifice, and the angel of the Lord burns it up. I just want to turn to verse 24 then, or 23. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Obviously Gideon sees the sacrifice burned up, he perceives that it's the Lord God. So Gideon built an altar there. The Lord and called it the Lord is peace to this day. It is still in Ophrah. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and built an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood and image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household, he and the men did it by night. So he feared the men of the city. So I don't necessarily want to read the next part, but he goes and tears down this altar of Baal, but the people are obviously very upset about this because they worship. And so they see it in the morning, it says in verse 32, therefore on the day he called him, excuse me, the men of the city, verse 30, said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. That's Gideon. Because he's torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Then Joash, his father, said to all who stood against him, but you plead for Baal. Would you save him? That the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning if he is a god. Let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. 
Therefore, on that day, he called them Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites, Amorites, and the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet and gathered the people around him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh and also gathered them behind him. And he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came to meet him there. Now we're going to stop there because the next lesson is the Sunday school and the lesson next time is the fleece and the do and the not do. And if you don't know this story, that's understandable. It's kind of hidden in the Old Testament. I encourage you to read it in Judges 6, 7, and 8. But basically, as I've said, you've had an oppressed country disobeying God. They cry out, God answers, and he's going to raise Gideon up. Where did the Midianites come from? This is a good question, right? Where did the Amalekites come from? Abraham had another wife other than Sarah. I don't know if you know that, but in Genesis, Keturah had a child. His name was Midian. Actually, he had seven, but one was Midian. Actually, Moses' father-in-law was a priest in the tribe of the Midianites. That's when they did well. But the bigger problem came when Israel wanted to walk through their land and they would not let them. And then you might know in the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery and the men of Midian took him into slavery to Egypt. You always see Israel at odds with the Midianites and it's almost this thought of slavery of kind of good, kind of bad. The Amalekites who they joined with were all bad. Scripture would tell us there's a type of picture that it's sin nipping at our heels. They were the first ones to attack Israel as they left Egypt. This is the enemy. Let's roll it all in one and say, this is the devil. This is sin. This is your flesh. I don't know, however you want to say it. This is bad news, right? This is not good. And this is what I tell you this morning. You can be working hard. You can be doing the right things. You might probably at times have impurity, at times serving other things like we all do. But what I've noticed in my life and even within the church, when we're steaming forward and we're doing the right thing at times, I don't know if you've ever experienced, it's almost like at the moment when you're expecting breakthrough in fruit, the devil comes and steals what God wanted to produce. I've not seen this once in my life. I've not seen it 10 times. I've seen it many, many times. I've seen people say, I'm doing the right thing. I'm reading my Bible. I'm working away. But it just seems that the devil sows lies. The devil steps in. The devil's attacks just come at the point where fruit is about to come. And we live impoverished lives. Unfortunately, and I don't mean this in a bad way, and I look at myself first, in some ways, we are a fruitless generation of Christians. We want more fruit in our life. We want more fruit in the church. And we work and we work and we work. And we don't see that fruit where we truly can say, that had to be God because I had nothing to do with it. I don't know if you ever felt that or been that way, but I think we're dealing with a lot of tired believers who are struggling to see the fruit that God has for them 
And I don't believe it's just all us or our sin. I believe that the devil is real and their time, he comes. And by the way, the Midianites were the first to use camel in warfare. So they come in, the Israelites don't have these animals. They have speed, they have power, they have strength. And here they are, they're working at their harvest, they get their sheep ready, and all of a sudden, it's just about to produce, and who comes? The enemy. Am I alone in thinking this? Have you ever felt that? I've been praying, I've been working. I haven't even watched my favorite TV show. Whatever you say. Where's the love? Hey, you're no different than Gideon. The angel of the Lord appears to him. What does Gideon say? What does he say? Yeah, God. Well, where the heck are you? You ever said that to yourself? I've heard your stories. I've read them. I've heard of these revivals. I've seen other people's lives. I've read revival. I've read change. I've read churches working. I've read people producing fruit. But we're just like Gideon sometimes. And maybe you, you aren't, praise the Lord. <laughs> but don't you ever feel like saying that sometimes? Like, what in the world? I've heard it, and this is exactly Gideon's words, but where are you? My family's a mess. It's a mess at work. My body's hurting. I got no love. My marriage is... Bang, half the time, whatever you want to say. There should be more fruit. There should be more promise. God, you promised this. God, where are you? I love Gideon because he's just flat out honest. He's not like, okay, God, let's do this. He's like, yeah, right. And where is he, by the way? You think he's out there, some big warrior? He's hiding in the cave, just to keep a little bit of what he can survive on. And God approaches him, mighty man of valor. Don't you love his response? What? <laughs> like, think about this. Like, sometimes we read these stories, we go over these lines. I'm actually hiding right now. <laughs> mighty man of valor, I'm hiding. And um, let me take out my... Uh, yeah, I got a little piece of paper here which will show you that I am not qualified for the job. Okay, the first thing is my family's a joke. I'm in the weakest family, the weakest clan, the weakest tribe, and I'm not even talking about myself who's hiding, and even our tribe is the weakest of all the tribes. Manasseh was a split tribe with Ephraim. It didn't even have full rights. It had to do a little split. You're like, who am I? That's exactly what he says. I can't do this. And you know what? Let's be honest. We are masters of doing the same thing. Okay, God, I can't do this. You want me to be the first one to change? You want me to lead my family? You want me to lead whatever it is, you want me to go to school and be an agent of change, you want me to defeat this enemy who's way bigger than me. Remember they have camels and 130,000 men and we got nothing because we're hiding. This is us. God, I, you know, I can't do this. 
Don't you know who I really am? I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. You want to use me? My life is racked with shame and guilt. I'm struggling with sin. I don't want to step into this situation. You want me to be the leader? I don't even have any gifts or abilities, let alone character, which is the only thing you want. We are masters of speaking in the negative of what we're not when God wants to use us. We've been trained by some sort of crazy crap theology that says we are not good enough or we're not holy enough or we're not righteous enough or we're just not enough, period, to be what God has called us to do. And God's word never says that. And we look at this book and we say, I'm not enough. And we hear sermons how we're not enough, we're not doing enough, how we're just a bunch of failures. God doesn't look like that at you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he comes to you and says, get out of the cave and stop the pity party of what your life is or what your life isn't because you're a mighty man or woman of valor, and it's time for you to step into what I've called you to do. Otherwise, the enemy just keeps going and going, what, you don't know, you don't know what's going on, you don't know how I feel. You're going to tell me, Jesus Christ, who says, I know every temptation, I know where you've been, I know how you feel. You, I might not know how you feel, but I can tell you, Jesus, through Scripture, says he knows where you're at. That's his promise. And that's why he's interceding in heaven for you. And he's saying to you that you are more than a conqueror in, not by yourself, in Christ Jesus. Is it your ability or strength? No. And that's the response God gives to him. Go, I am what? I'm with you. Okay, I know it's hot. <laughs> and I know it's easy to daydream. And I'm not saying you are, by the way. Just give me 20 more minutes and bear down and focus. A little exhortation. Okay? I don't want it to be another Sunday where you walk away. That was kind of nice. Dinner's on. It's hot. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. But you have a responsibility to listen. And this isn't just wasted time where you come. You're not here to put in time. You're here to hear God's word. And what God thinks of you and what God's saying about you and to say, it is enough of the enemy stealing fruit in your life. And I can say to myself and to each one of you, he has way more for you and for me than what we're producing. And the enemy is swooping in with his camels and his lies. And he's stealing fruit. And we're hiding in the cave, afraid of the enemy, just trying to survive. Oftentimes my life has been about maintenance and not thriving with Jesus Christ. And a lot of it is my faith is in the wrong my faith is in me, and it's not in him. This is the answer. It matters not whether you think you're little or you're big. What matters is, 
I am with you, he says, and we will go as one. How many times in the New Testament? All things are possible. Come on, finish it. How is it possible? All things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. And we spend too much of our time looking at ourselves and what we can or can't do. We're a generation that's so self-focused, we've lost our focus on God, and in Him is the power to defeat the enemy. We read this morning, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are enough in your marriage, as a parent, at work, as a witness for Jesus Christ. The question is, are you going to believe what God says about you? Because it's like he would come to say to you today, fill in your name, you are a warrior because of my love for you. And it's time to get out of the pity parties. Pity parties come from self-focus. Victory comes from Christ. And as a church, every time I feel we're on the verge, Satan comes with his lies to attack. And it's enough. And it's time for us to stand up in the truth of Scripture of what he says and the power we have and who we are promised to be corporately. Yeah, a little more than that. Amen. <laughs> Come on, folks. It's okay to say that's right, Pastor. So as you continue with the story and you see that, and of course the enemy's working hard to steal our fruit, personally and corporately, but as we move forward, we see Gideon has a command as he knows. And by the way, angel of the Lord, Christophany, that's, it's a picture of Christ. It's like Christ coming, the capital A angel in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is with them. So that's even better, right? Like Jesus is with them. By the way, you think, oh, the Old Testament's boring. Read it again, <laughs> right? Jesus is with him. You said, hey, oh, wow, that's crazy. Jesus is with him and he accomplished, he's going to defeat 130,000 people with 300 just because Jesus is with him. I wish Jesus was with me. Really? What does the Bible say? Where is Jesus? He's in you. He lives in you more than come upon you. Let's take it a step further. He's in you. <laughs> That's the truth. Oh, I wish I had the power of Gideon. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians, oh, that you would know the power that is towards you. But we pray, I need more power. You have it. Let's start believing it. That's the word of God. Do I pray for more? Sure I do. But I have to understand the truth of Christ in me, the hope of glory, the power towards me, that I am not an orphan, that I am not powerless. So he says, okay, angel of God, Jesus, you're with me. Oh, I, it says he perceived it was the angel of God. Bing! <laughs> you know, those cartoons, light bulb, bing. That's Gideon, right? Like, wah! What's the first thing he does? First command is build an altar and tear down what? You read the story. What did he have to tear down? The idols. Where do you have to tear it down? Yeah? But whose house had him? Father. Father. Where does it start? Home. 
I want to push this point. It starts at home. You know God's with you. The first thing he's going to command you to do is get rid and tear down the idols and build a new altar for him. It starts here. Great commentary. You want revival? Draw a circle around yourself and say, start with me, Lord. And the first thing of revival is confession and repentance. And that he sees God, he believes in God, now it's time to get busy and say, I got to get rid of the idols in my life, in my father's house where he lived, and we're going to rip them down. And you can be scared, that's okay, but let's get it done. And we have to ask the Lord clearly, God, are there anything taking away from the purity of my relationship with you? Are there any idols of money, of family? Are there lies then that attack of fear is comfort, is just the prevailing thought of our culture attacking us that it becomes an idol that we truly aren't serving God in purity and God says, you got to get rid of it and build up this altar of peace to me, first step. The first step isn't going to fight the enemy, the first step is getting the junk out of your life. And you have to ask the Lord, and you have to ask him honestly, is there anything taking my attention other than you? And I'm not saying we don't do other things, but you know what I mean when I say it takes my attention. Meaning, causing worry, causing fear. If I don't have it, how's it going to turn out? If I'm trusting God, whether it's sin or pleasure, it's just like the parable of the sower. We can't produce the magnificent harvest if there is what? The pleasures of life, the distraction, the idols. And he's saying, rip it down. Okay, I'm a positive faith power, grace preacher, but that doesn't leave out you repenting and confessing from the junk in your life. You cannot have those messages unless they're intertwined because God's grace causes you to live a holy life. And if you are living in a way that you are impure because you're seeking and you know things have your attention and distracting you and seeking you. And I'm not saying we don't do things and enjoy things. All things are from God to enjoy. I mean they're idols taking our attention. God says, take it down. And this is really important because if you will have the faith and the courage to get rid of idols, you will embolden those around you to do the same thing. What does dad say? Worshipper of Baal, Gideon rips it down. Persecution comes when you live a godly life. Everyone read that in 1 Timothy chapter 4? Okay, I'm going to rip down this junk. And people are going to be like, I can't believe that. What are you? You're some religious freak. Like, you can't do that. can't do this. You're all about Jesus. And the world get all over you. You can't even say the word Jesus. And you rip it down, and you're all worried what the response will be. But the other people who once believed in Christ, when they see your faith, will be emboldened to say, why don't you persecutors just shut up? And whoever you're serving, why doesn't he fight for himself? But he won't, because he can't. Because God's more powerful than Satan, amen? And if you will choose today to deal with sin and distraction 
And you will deal with the idols because God sees you who you are and he loves you and cares for you. He will embolden the people in your family and he will embolden the people in your church to live for him. Does that make any sense? It does, sure it does. Because God's word always makes sense. I don't make sense, but God does. And I think this morning, as a church, we need to examine, as individuals and corporately, if there's anything that has become an idol that's going to take away peace, love, joy, fruit. Who's attacking us? Who's going to attack us when we're going to produce fruit? Who was it? Satan? How are you going to defeat that? Believe who you are in Christ. How are you going to defeat that? Obeying by repenting and confessing and following after him. And what happens after you do that in our story, which is absolutely incredible, it says the spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. Okay, I can do it. God, you're with me. I can't do it. I'm going to choose to obey. I'm going to get rid of sin. I'm going to get rid of the distractions. I want to be that good soil. I want to produce fruit. And now I can't do it. And here's what God says. You blow the trumpet because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and everyone gathers and there's going to be a move of God in your life. Woo! <laughs> That's his job. That's not our job. Our job was to repent, confess, and believe. Correct? His job is he's going to not only have you know that Christ lives in you, but then his Holy Spirit will empower you to do what you never could do on your own. This is a pattern of scripture. This isn't just from this story. And the problem is my life, so I was good to point to the eyes, and if you can apply it to yourself. We are fruitless, but not only fruitless at times, we are powerless because the anointing of the Holy Spirit is something we haven't believed or we're grieved we've grieved the Holy Spirit we've dampered the Spirit but as we choose to cleanse in Jesus he fills us in our brokenness and we have the power then to defeat the enemy You have no chance against Satan yourself. But with the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ in you, you have all power to defeat him and say, get lost. I've been praying lately sometimes with my wife and I'm like, devil, will you please leave? And she's like, why you, why you talk like that to him? Tell him to get out. Why are you saying please or asking? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right, honey. What? Canadian way, which isn't the good way when it comes to the spiritual way. <laughs> we have all power to say, get lost. You're not going to take the fruit. I don't care about your camels and your power and your lies. You're not going to destroy our fellowship or our lives. We are going to do what you've called us to do. We're going to believe it. We're going to step out. We're going to rid ourselves of sin. We know we're broken. But your light is going to shine through us. If you read ahead, you'll know where I'm going. The jars had to be broken, and the light shone, and the enemy was destroyed. 
Build an altar today. Get rid of the junk. First things first. Believe, confess, repent. Been here 14, 13 years. And this is, I guess, why it's so personal to me today. Is I feel corporately, we're so many times on the verge of real fruit. And the devil attacks and we bow down and we give in. And today I want to say corporately to you, it's enough. For your life and for our life as a church, you are not welcome to steal our fruit and our sustenance. And we are not called to live impoverished Christian lives. But fruitful, 100 Fold is the word in the Gospels. That is what God has for me and for you and for us to have an impact on our town, to step into our destiny and what God has called us to do. And where do you think the devil's going to attack if he knows the promises of God upon you and upon us? He's going to attack us right where we're going to produce that and get lost, devil, no more. And how do I say that? I believe in what God has said and who I am and what he's done in the past and what he'll do in the future. Number two, I get rid of sin. I repent and I confess that's my responsibility. And I ask the Spirit, anoint and come and work for your glory. It is a stand firm step to say no more. No more. And sometimes you got to fight, and sometimes it gets ugly. Right? I mean, fight in the good way, but persecution is going to come. And it will get ugly. But we will embolden those to be emboldened, and we will shut up those who are working for the devil. Amen? Yeah. Lord, thank you this morning for your grace your truth, your word. And we stand together in your truth. This isn't a feeling this morning. This is a statement of truth that we need to stand on. I don't care how you're feeling. I want you to believe truth. Maybe this morning, we'll just go through the three things quickly before communion so you can respond to the Lord in your own heart. Maybe you're believing lies about yourself and you don't see how God sees you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe all you can see is the negative and you're hiding. You're hiding. You're the least of the worst because you don't know what I've done. Would you this morning call out to God and tell him you believe in what he says you are. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Yeah, some of you might need to stay here <laughs> and ask the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart with that truth. No more fear. No more anxiety that's based on us. But truth that's based in you. I pray right now, if that's you, 
Yeah, just put your hands together, put your hand on your heart, do whatever you want to do to know the truth as a physical sign to God. Fix my thinking, Lord, with your truth. Renew my mind. Renew my mind in your truth. Secondly, you might be living in sin. And I guarantee you there's someone in this room who's being distracted, living in sin, not because I know you all, because I know myself, probably number one, but I just know when you get 100 people in a room, someone's struggling and needs to confess and repent. And I'm sick and tired of pride, which doesn't allow us to humbly come before God. David said, search my heart, Lord, if there's any wicked way, if there's anything that you need to give up, that you need to tear down, would you ask God today? Lord, is there anything holding me back, being used from you, any sin, any weed strangling out the fruit, Lord? Any pleasure? Anything that's taken priority over you? Maybe it's yourself, like me at times. Maybe it's your pride. Just confess it to him now. God is so forgiving and gracious. No greater time to do it than before communion because you realize that you're completely forgiven and you start fresh. Communion is just a reminder that you are forgiven, that sin is dealt with, that you are righteous. And we need your anointing as broken vessels, Lord. We blow the trumpet of praise and we say that you're good, but we need your Holy Spirit to empower us to defeat the devil. So now I pray that you would fall upon each of us in this room, that you would give us courage and strength and it's not that there won't be doubt or battles in the future, but we're crying out and we're saying, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your power. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you. Do you believe that this morning? Make that the cry of your heart. If you don't believe that, hey, guess what? I got news for you. You're never going to get it. You're never going to get more fruit, more peace, more power, if you don't even believe God does that. But if you do believe that, you say, Lord, you live in me, but I want more of you. I need more of you. I need your power this morning. I want to defeat the devil. And corporately, we stand up together, and we stand in the victory. Your word says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. But today we stand in the victory of the promises that you've given us. We stand in the truth and devil with your lies, you're not welcome, that cause division and difficulty, that causes lead us into sin. You are not welcome, devil. Get out of this place and get out of our lives with your lies. May we experience you today, God, and all you have for us. Forty years of peace followed Gideon's life. Forty years of fruit. God, we want that. We want 50, 60 for our kids and our grandkids. Start in that circle. Start with us. 
take communion now, we'll think of Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace and his power. If you need to confess sin because, hey, sometimes that allows healing in your life, confess one to another that you would be healed. There's brothers or sisters in the back during communion. We're not in a rush. We're always in a rush, but we're not in a rush. If you know the Holy Spirit's working in your life and you need to say or confess to a brother or sister beside you or in the back, we're all a family. We're all the body of Christ. Let's do that. Randy's going to sing. The elements are there. As the Lord leads you, pick them up and remember Christ and who you are in Him. Let's worship Him.